You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again. This is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the March 2021 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you that you've taken the time to listen to this podcast during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Please stay healthy, and we can only hope that the vaccine rollouts continue at a rapid pace. I will begin this month's podcast with a part of my interview with the first author of one of my highlighted articles. This month, the article is entitled Propensity Score Methods in Rare Disease, a demonstration using observational data in systemic lupus erythematosus, and is by Elmayuth and colleagues. The full paper is now available on the journal's website at jroom.org for your viewing. I will now ask Dr. Ibrahim Elmayuth, the first author of this article, to give us an overview of the principles used in propensity scoring. Thank you so much again for having me. Um, it's always great to see you, Dr. Silverman. Uh, so essentially, the I think we we'll always want to go a step back as a clinical researcher and ask the question of why do we need to use all of these methods? The primary problem when we have an observational studies, which are very important studies to understand rare diseases, is that Sometimes when you look at the association between an exposure and an outcome, we get into the problem of confounding, where there is a factor associated with the exposure and the outcome and not in the causal pathway. Now, this problem can be adjusted methodologically in several different methods. However, in 1980s, uh, Rubin uh, introduced the concept of propensity score, which is a very interesting uh, idea in which if we can calculate the probability of uh, have, uh, of getting the exposure of interest or the treatment of interest and give it a number and we ensure that this number is balanced in both exposure and control group, so both study group, then we will have a way to reduce the confounding effect uh, uh, in the observational studies. Now, this uh, propensity score essentially uh, is this, uh, can be calculated using a conditional logistic regression in which we look at all the variables that can lead, that can lead or can uh, increase the risk or the prediction of having an exposure of interest. So for example, if we are giving a treatment and we want to compare the treatment effect in exposure group versus no treatment effect on the control group, all the factors that led to the that led to the assignment of treatment in the exposure group, we include it in, the, in a logistic regression model, and then we predict a score for all the study cohort, including exposure and control. After that, we can use this score to balance both groups. Now, there are four classical methods in which this score can be used. And they are uh, as the following. The first one is matching, and it's a uh, very simple, straightforward. We try to match both groups uh, in terms of their propensity score by, by 
different methods of proximity. And then we ensure that the score did its job by balancing both groups in all variables except the exposure, which is the thing that we want to uh, examine uh, on the outcome of interest. So that's essentially the matching, and we can talk about it further. The second one is essentially uh, um, uh, stratification, in which we divide, we stratify all study groups based on their propensity score into smaller groups that are similar in the propensity score. And then we calculate the effect of exposure on the outcome on all these small groups. And then we pull the results, uh, the, uh, the measure of estimate at the end. And the third one is essentially adjustment which is essentially a reflection of what we usually commonly use in observational study, in which we use the score as a variable and regression model, and then we adjust the uh, adjust for it in the regression model. And the last one uh, is the inverse probability treatment weighted method, in which we weight we give a larger weight for a, a control group who had low who has lower propensity score and uh, lower weight on the exposure group in which they have um, higher score and in that way we ensure that the balance is uh, there we restore the balance between the exposure and the outcome uh, creating what we call pseudo randomization but we can talk, uh, talk about it further so that's a nutshell the brief about the methods I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Ibrahim Elmayus regarding his paper entitled Propensity Score Methods in Rare Disease, a demonstration using observational data in systemic lupus erythematosus. And please listen to the interview, which available at the journal website at www.jroom.com. The next article to highlight is entitled Risk of Adverse Outcomes in Hospitalized Patients with Autoimmune Disease and COVID-19, a match cohort study from New York City, and is by Faye and Collins. It is accompanied by editorial entitled COVID-19 and Rheumatic Diseases. It is time to better understand the association. Editorial is by Dr. Claudia Marquez on behalf of the Rumakov Brazil study group. An interview with Dr. Fay regarding his article is available at our journal website. So I will only very briefly highlight the important messages of this article, which examined the impact of an autoimmune disease on the outcome of 62 patients with autoimmune diseases as compared to 124 age and sex match controls who were all hospitalized with COVID-19. The investigators did not find an increased risk of a composite outcome of intensive care unit admission, intubation, or death as compared to controls. Please read the complete article, listen to the interview, as well as reading the editorial by Dr. Marquez. The third article to highlight is entitled Evaluation of Bone Erosions in Rheumatoid Arthritis, the Ultrasound Score for Erosions versus the Modified Sharp Vanderheide Score for Erosion and is by Gross and Colleagues. 
In this study, the investigators evaluated the correlation of an ultrasound score for erosions to the more standard van der Heide modified sharp score for erosions in 108 patients with RA. Investigators found an excellent correlation between the two scores, and in fact, they found that the modalities were complementary for the detection of erosions. After reviewing this article, I hope you have a better understanding for the role of radiographs and ultrasound in evaluating in erosions in RA patients. The fourth article to highlight is entitled Cardiovascular Risk Scores in Axial Spondyloarthritis Versus the General Population, a cross-sectional study and is by Lou and colleagues. And this article is accompanied by an editorial entitled Inflammatory Joint Diseases and the Risk of Cardiovascular Disease in Modern Rheumatology and is by Inger Berg and Sella Provan. In a cross-sectional study of 211 patients with axial spondyloarthritis, the investigators examined the 10-year atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease risk score as compared to the general U.S. population, which was derived from the 2009 to 2014 National Health and Examination Study, or the NHANES study. They found that the mean 10-year atherosclerotic disease risk score was not significantly different in patients with axial spondyloarthritis versus the NHANES comparators. Similarly, when they looked at patients with a risk score of greater than or equal to 7.5%, which is the cutoff used as a threshold suggested by the American College of Cardiology for moderate to high intensity statins. Again, there was no significant difference in the prevalence between the two cohorts. Please read this article to put these findings into the context of previously demonstrated increased risk of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease-related mortality in patients with axial spondyloarthritis and the implications for screening and prevention of cardiovascular disease in patients with axial spondyloarthritis. The final article to I would like to highlight this month is entitled Association Between Centromere and Topoisomerase-Specific Immune Responses and the Degree of Microangiopathy in Systemic Sclerosis, and is by Van Leeuwen and colleagues. They hypothesized that an activated immune response and the degree of organ damage in patients with systemic sclerosis would be associated with more severe microvascular damage as measured by neofold video capillaroscopy. To test this hypothesis, they examined the anti-centromere and anti-topoisomerase antibody isotype expression and correlated these findings with the degree of neofold Caspilaroscopy abnormalities at the time of initial presentation of 231 patients with systemic sclerosis. 
Their findings confirm previous studies that show that more severe microangiopathy was associated with organ involvement. The specific organs involved were interstitial lung disease, pulmonary hypertension, cardio, cardiac involvement, and digital ulcers. They also showed that anti-topoisomerous antibody positive patients had more severe microangiopathic changes than anti-centromere antibody positive patients. When specific antibody isotypes were studied, patients with higher IgG anti-centromere antibody levels and IgM anti-topoisomerase antibody levels had more severe neo-videocapillaroscopy pattern. Please read this article to determine the strengths and limitations of the findings and the value of, of serially following neo-videocapillaroscopy in your patients with systemic sclerosis. Article also includes color illustrations of the different neo-fold videocapillaroscopy patterns seen in patients with systemic sclerosis. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast, encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all of the articles in the March 2021 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or in our online edition, which is available at www.jroom.com. Please watch the full interview with Dr. Ibrahim el of the article entitled Propensity Score Methods in Rare Disease, a demonstration using observational data in systemic lupus erythematosus, which is also available at our website and on YouTube. In addition, I hope you will view the interviews I have had with either first or senior author of selected COVID-19 articles, which are also available for your viewing at our website and on YouTube. And in particular, this month, the one by Dr. Fay, which was one of my highlighted articles. If you have any questions or comments on these highlighted articles or any articles in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. We are particularly interested on your comments on the new format of the podcast with an interview with the first or senior author of one of the highlighted articles. Please listen next month to the April edition of Editor's Highlights, and please stay healthy in these very trying times. Thank you.